So I'm, um, I'm moved to talk today about uh, relationship as a practice. And I'm thinking about this because um, I had kind of a exchange earlier this week with a person that I'm working with on a project. And we had a difference about uh, how a process should be done. And um, I wrote a, a suggestion for you know, an improvement <laughs> over what I thought was an improvement over what we were doing. And interestingly, I knew she, it wasn't going to be her favorite thing, but she wrote back to me this very beautiful response, actually, that was um, uh, sort of framed in terms of uh, her, her deep values and her faith and her love about the way this was being put together. Um, and it was it sort of not only clarified for me the, uh, the issue itself and how she was thinking about it, but these, these feelings came through. And I found it interesting that, you know, I could tap into that. And so I, I wrote back to her and I said, oh, you know, this is, um, I can really feel what you're expressing and I find it really beautiful. And so this, you know, this, it makes sense the way you've, uh, want to do this process, basically what I said, something to that effect. And she wrote back immediately and said, oh, I'm so glad we're in alignment. And um, and interestingly, uh, I sat with that, and, you know, on the one level, I was very satisfied that we connected at this, you know, kind of deeper level that really matters, um, you know, of what what kind of spiritual qualities were coming through in our work and that I could honor that. But I felt like her response basically said, great, I'm so glad that you agree with me <laughs> and you know, you've come around to this way of seeing it. And as I sat with that, I thought, well, that doesn't quite honor um, what I was offering. <coughs> and so I... Um, but I didn't want to just... Uh, I didn't want to only interact at kind of the relative level of this is what you want, this is what I want. You know, that's where we usually are, right? And we know where that goes. <laughs> so, so I had to find, I was challenged to find a framework of response that was um, kind of honoring, if you will, both the spiritual level and the mundane level, or both, you know, our uniqueness, our difference about this, and our sameness in terms of being people who are trying to act in alignment with what we care about in the world. And so, you know, I, I put together something that I think I think addressed that, but it got me considering that this is really, um, you know, relationship is really, is really a practice. And I came across um, this lovely, this is from an essay entitled, Relationships Make You Conscious, Not Happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we'll we'll see. I'll I'll read part of it. Um, With the acknowledgement and acceptance of the facts, also comes a degree of freedom from them. For example, when you know there is a disharmony, and you hold that knowing, through your knowing, a new factor has come in, and the disharmony cannot remain unchanged. When you know you are not at peace. Your knowing creates a still space that surrounds your non-peace in a loving and tender embrace 
and then transmutes your non-peace into peace. As far as inner transformation is concerned, there is nothing you can do about it. You cannot transform yourself, and you certainly not cannot transform your partner or anybody else. All you can do is create a space for transformation to happen. Very important point. Um, we are not in control of this process. So it goes on. So whenever your relationship is not working, whenever it brings out the madness in you and your partner, be glad. What was unconscious is being brought up to the light. Every moment, hold the knowing of that moment, particularly of your inner state. If there is anger, know that there is anger. If there is jealousy, defensiveness, the urge to argue, the need to be right, or emotional pain of any kind, know the reality of that moment. Then the relationship becomes your spiritual practice. So, I like this in that we can immediately relate to the practicality of this But when I read it, I thought immediately also of a sutta that the Buddha uh, spoke 2,600 years ago uh, that says uh, in the foundations of mindfulness, you know, the ways that we establish presence, very important in relationship, he said there were a number of domains in which it's important to establish presence, and one of them is the domain called mindfulness of mind. Uh, the third foundation of mindfulness. And in this, the instruction um, is not anything abstract or obscure. It says, if there's wanting in the mind, know that there's wanting in the mind. And if the mind is free from wanting, know that it's free from wanting. If there's ill will, know that there's ill will in the mind. If there's no ill will, know that the mind is free from ill will at this moment. That's it. And then he goes through a bunch of other qualities. In addition, delusion and spaciousness and concentration and liberation. And the instruction is no more complicated than that. Know that it's there or know that it's not there. And it's so liberating and spacious to think of our mind that way. Just like it's liberating and spacious to think of a relationship in terms of a space that we're holding where transformation might happen or might not. But it's the same in the mind. We're creating a spacious, uh, transparent, open, accepting kind of space in which uh, all those qualities that may be distressing if we're caught in them, like wanting and ill will and contraction, all of those um, no longer have the power to bring suffering. Just the knowing of them frees the mind in a certain way We also know from the reality of our relationships that conflict is kind of the nature of them. I mean, there's really um, nothing more challenging in the world than all those other people, right? <laughs> it would really be much simpler without that, maybe. Um, so, you know, con- or maybe you could say conflict is the uh, definitely not the exception; it's the rule. <laughs> That's how it is. Even. Um, you know, even two people living together in a house with very little else going on, their desires are going to come into conflict because that's the nature of desires, is that they conflict. That's why they've been identified as one of the central challenges. So, um, there's really no substitute for uh, just acknowledging this and going forward because this is the reality of our life in relationship. 
actually I'm, when I think about that the, um, the quote from Winston Churchill comes to mind which is um, if you're going through hell keep going <laughs> yeah, I found it effective at certain times so you know relationship becomes a discipline in a sense or a practice so that's what this was little essay was talking about um, so let me go on a little bit more never before have relationships been as problematic and conflict ridden as they are now as you may have noticed they are not here to make you happy or fulfilled if you continue to pursue the goal of salvation through a relationship you will be disillusioned again and again but if you accept the re- that the relationship is here to make you conscious instead of happy, then the relationship will offer you salvation. Which I like quite a lot. So this maybe sets the frame for understanding what's going on in our, in our interactions and in our relationships and a little bit about the kind of radical, somewhat radical frame that um, Buddhism offers for how to hold these things which are, you know, an important part of life certainly a pleasant part of life but we know also an unpleasant part of life and uh, to examine our own relationship to our relationships also are we holding them as something that can save us? This is what's going (coughs) to do it for me? It's not so different from in the end saying the chocolate cake is what's going to do it for me We know there's no one thing like that. It's stickier in a relationship to think that way. But we're responsible for how we're holding that relationship in our mind. And if we're holding it in a way that's going to bring us suffering, we need to look at that and hopefully let go of that way of thinking. So practicalities. There are lots and lots of practices that we can do around our relationships. This could be our whole life, and it's a great, great way to develop. So I'll just suggest a couple um, that are advocated in the teachings. One is, um, this could be summarized as, don't speak of faults. And this, um, let me unpack that a little bit. So this is you know, basically not talking about uh, what's wrong with other people in that it doesn't really help and it's interesting to observe um, how much of our speech is like that like what if you really took that on seriously and said okay for a week I am not at all going to speak of anybody's faults that includes yours by the way but let's say other people um, how would that affect your speech how much of it would be eliminated if you shut up every time instead of saying that. (laughs) I do know a practitioner who tried to eliminate speech that was about people who weren't present. Um, This is not so practical. We do sometimes need to speak about people who are not present, but he just wanted to try. How often do I speak about people who are not here? Um, And he found that it eliminated 90% of his speech. So... I don't know if that would be the case for us, but you might be surprised. I also heard of a um, teacher, a high school teacher, I think, or maybe middle school, who had the kids do an assignment where they were to watch a sitcom and tally uh, which, like um, they had two columns, and they would tally which statements made were um, supportive and loving and which statements were 
um, critical and derogatory. And it was, um, you can guess, there was no comparison, right? And this is where we get it. So it's not like we're horrible, bad people that we spend a lot of time criticizing others. It's all, it's the, we swim in the sea, and if we're not watching, that's how we're going to get conditioned. And so, you know, we have the, luckily, we have practice of consciousness and awareness to help us not be pulled into the aspects of society that are not helpful to us like that. So, it would really be a different thing, wouldn't it, if the world were about not speaking of the faults of others. It would really be a different thing, a different world. And, you know, we can partially occupy that world through our practice, because it's a better world, really. And you'll find amazingly that people like that. (laughs) It's good, overall. So that's one practical suggestion. And then others include just the awareness that we've talked about of the relationship is there to make us conscious and not happy. (laughs) I think that's another helpful one. So I'll stop there and, and see if anyone has any comments or questions. Yeah. So um, you touched on this, uh, the relationship to oneself. And for, for me and in my practice, especially regarding negative or critical or judgmental things, I am usually the first target. And so I consider relationship to myself and how I am treating myself, if you will, to be absolutely the foundation for what I put out to others. And I wanted to just say that's my experience and my practice, but that's really core in looking at relationships is what's happening Thank you. Very true. I just love this topic. I'm so glad you did. You chose it. I coach people on mindfulness and their relationships. So I'm glad. Um, I wanted to just um, share um, one thing that was very helpful me and what Alice spoke about was learning that in um, the neuroscience that it's not it's not physiologically possible for me to be having judgmental thoughts about myself and a sense of compassion and loving kindness for the person across from me at the same time because there are different parts of the brain that do that um, so that's really helpful to me when that starts to come up mm-hmm. as I'm wanting that in a personal relationship or with with clients when that you know thing starts going off that's putting me down to okay you know now you're this is not about you you know you and in and knowing that biologically the way that we're made sending that loving kindness to myself the meta to myself versus what opens up that capacity so that was really helpful I, 
I just came back from visiting my adult children and my grandchild. And so there's a lot of this stuff that goes on and in those relationships. And uh, even with my two-year-old grandson, I noticed that when I'd walk in in the morning and he, he would light up and be happy, that that would just make me feel so happy, you know. But if he was, like, pushing me away, which two-year-olds do, you know, uh, that really made me feel sad, you know. And so I, I like what you said about it's not about yourself, you know, because, I mean, obviously with a two-year-old, it's not about yourself, but we do that all of the time. The not finding faults is a really great practical tip, and I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and I've been reading positive parenting books like forever, and one of the huge concepts is just to never, like, even expressing minor disapproval is like negative reinforcement. It doesn't work. Mm. Positive reinforcement is what works, but these patterns are so, you know, it's like, Stop throwing the heavy rock in the window. Like, was that <laughs> You know, just focusing on the positive redirect and like, let's let's be like this now, and you know, let's let's be gentle with our hands, whatever. Um, it's a really good tool, like even for crazy toddlers, and I think maybe apply more generally <laughs> and for for molding positive behavior. Oh, question. So who were those quotes by? Oh, this essay is by Eckhart Tolle. by a Burmese master named Tonpalu Sayadaw and um, my understanding is that it's okay so here's a family relationship um, Upandita was trained by Mahasi Sayadaw Tonpalu Sayadaw was like a brother to Mahasi Sayadaw they were both um, connected to the same teacher above them whose name I've forgotten that it's a, it's a Theravadan tradition it's a Theravadan tradition yes Oh, please. Announcement? 